The following is audio from The Refuge Church. Every sermon is an invitation to understand, obey, and enjoy God. More information about The Refuge Church is available at therefugechurch.us. Right now in the world, there are over 68 million refugees. And half of those refugees are children. Um, And as I was getting ready for Daniel, the book of Daniel, who I'm calling God's refugee, um, I read some of their stories, the stories of these young kids fleeing Syria, Somalia, Afghanistan, uh, all over the place. These, These refugees who are escaping persecution and war. One named Omar, who was 17, he said, I used to want to be president of Somalia, and now all I think about is living and dying. I left Somalia, but the pain is still with me, and I can't wait to go back home. Um, Another young man, Muhammad, uh, leaving Syria, he says, leaving your, your homeland feels like tearing out a part of your soul. Even if it's safe here where I'm at, the war is still inside of me. Uh, World Vision had this little um, little biopic of a of a, a young man, uh, 11 years old, who it says when Uday was six, um, he was six when the Syria civil war began. His little sister Rana was two. They hardly remember life before the violence, chaos, and strife. Their family of eight remained in their home in eastern Aleppo. And if you look at pictures of Aleppo, I encourage you to go and try to find aerial views of Aleppo. It's this city full of, of like six and eight story buildings that is completely gutted. There's, just, there's no windows or walls anymore. It's just the, the city is, is completely demolished. This massive city. Um, It says, but they were forced to finally flee when the fierce battle between government and rebel forces in late 2016 literally hit their home. Uday remembers we had dinner and were getting ready for bed when we heard a boom. And we started looking for each other. I was shouting, Dad. No one was answering. People came in with flashlights and they found us. By the time Uday, his sister, and their three siblings escaped the city in mid-December, they had lost both their parents and their seven-year-old sister in bomb attacks. The orphaned children relied on relatives and caring strangers to usher them into another relatively safe part of Syria. So just to help this come alive, this idea of, of refugees, children refugees of war, I, I have some pictures that, that Eric's just going to slide through of, of some refugee children. So when you see these pictures or remember these pictures, what I want you to imagine is this is Daniel and his three friends. Uh, Daniel and his three friends. I think sometimes when we read the book of Daniel, we just perceive him as this strong, confident, the world can't affect young man. But if you, if you start reading the book of Daniel, what you're looking at is a young man between the age of 11 and 15 so we'll put him around 13, who has, like Carl mentioned earlier, lost everything, right? The, the city that he loves, and we know he loves that city because the rest of his life he is praying for that city. 
Even when you see him at 80 years old, he's still praying for that city, right? So leaving at 13, loses the city he loves, loses his family. We never see his family in this. And he's brought to a place that the whole intention of Babylon and the king there is to indoctrinate him into their practices and their way of life. This is the story of Daniel, God's refugee. So uh, we're going to read Daniel 1 and and head into the story. Um, This is how the story goes. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hands along with some of the articles from the temple of God. And and I want you to see here in in verse 2, because this is important in setting up the rest of the book, that the Lord is the one who delivers Jehoiakim, king of Judah. So, so when we when we think of Daniel and his his um, commitment to Yahweh, to the God of Israel, it's it's commitment to this God who he is in this situation partly because the Lord has delivered Jerusalem because of the sins of the people. This is fascinating. So he's he's carried off. Uh, verse three it says, "And the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of court officials." also can be translated chief of the eunuchs to bring into king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and nobility, young men without physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. And again, remember those pictures we saw. These are about, these are teenage boys (laughs) we're talking about here. Uh, He was to teach them the language and literature of Babylon, um, the language and literature of Babylon, uh, what you, we learn later is that what they were learning is because they were, they were going to become wise men. And listen to what they considered the wise men, the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers. Okay, this is Hogwarts. Like, they literally are going to train them in magic. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Like, so we, we think of our university here, literally they're probably learning potions, okay? Um, they were being trained in a, in a different religion. Right? The religion of Babylon, that was the whole idea, is indoctrination of these 13-year-old boys. Imagine that you're uprooted, brought to a new place, and everything about it, both what you're eating, right? they assign them daily amounts of food and wine, 13-year-old boys drinking wine, right? the schooling was, was all for them to become Babylonian. That was the whole goal of this. So the king assigned them daily amounts of food, wine from the king's table, and they were to be trained for three years, and after that they were to enter the king's service. Among those chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief officials gave them new names to Daniel, Belteshazzar, Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and Azariah, Abednego. And, uh, and you also see in their renaming all their Hebrew names, like Daniel, I only know this one because it's my name, uh, it means God is judge, but each of the new names they were given, the old names all had to do with worship of their God. All the new names had to do with worship of Babylonian gods. So even their renaming was to try to change their view on the world and, and change the one they worship. 
8, but Daniel resolved not to defile himself with royal food and wine and asked the chief officials for permission not to defile himself in this way. Now God had caused the officials to show favor and compassion to Daniel, but the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of the Lord the king who has signed your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guard, whom the chief official had appointed over, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished, which is a miracle in and of itself because this is vegetables and water they're drinking. The name of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And, and this is really important because think about it. What kind of literature and learning did God, did Yahweh, the God of Israel, give them understanding of? God gave them understanding of pagan religion, Right? Like what they were learning was, was so they could be magicians, astrologers, and sorcerers. And Yahweh, God of Israel, is going, I'm going to give you all kinds of understanding of this. You're going to be better than all of their magicians, sorcerers, and astrologers. You're going to understand this better than they do. That's pretty impressive, right? These were, these were incredible young men. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of these times set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief officials presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. And so they entered the king's service in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them. He found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. Isn't this an amazing story? And probably the most amazing part of it is Daniel in verse 8, it says his resolve not to defile himself. Daniel's resolve not to defile himself. Now think again of this young man, 13 years old. Think about all the opportunities that he has now available to him. And maybe put this in the context of, of someone going off to college, right? Or just finally being separated from their parents. And, and no longer is he responsible in any sort of way to the way he was raised. No one's gonna hold him accountable to that. If anything, they're gonna hold him accountable to these new standards of drinking lots of wine at the age of 13 or, or following these other gods. And he has every opportunity to do that. It would have been more cool. He would have got more approval for doing that. And at the age of 13, instead of doing that, what he decides to do is he resolves to not defile himself with these things, but instead, instead to follow God. And in, in verse 8 where it says he resolved or purposed, the, the idea behind this word is to stand up rather than to lay down. Right? He decided to stand for what he believed in rather than surrender. Right? And and when I was thinking about this, this idea of standing up, I thought, I don't know why this came to mind, but uh, have you ever walked a trail in the morning for the first time and you get all the, cob- you get all the, um, the spider webs? 
And just how annoying that is. But that's, that really is, I was thinking, that's like, that's the choice of Daniel standing up. He was going to get hit by more things because he chose to stand up. Right? If he chose to surrender at this point and just become another enchanter and another sorcerer or another astrologer, right? He would not have got hit by all these things. You wouldn't have the story of Daniel in the lion's den. You, you wouldn't get the story of Hannah, Mishael, and, and the other guy. <laughs> See, this is interesting. I don't know. Okay, side note. We're going to come back. But we, we know Daniel by his Hebrew name, but we always remember the other guys by their Babylonian names. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, so I'm trying to use their Hebrew names, but guys, I was trained to remember their Babylonian names. But, but them in the fiery furnace and all these amazing stories we hear is because they chose to stand up. They resolved not to vile themselves. And because of that, because of that, they got hit by more things, but we saw God glorified in extraordinary ways. And so the, really the, the big idea here is that it's not an act of defiance that they're doing it. They're not, just, they're not trying to set themselves apart and just look different. So it's not defiance, but these literally on their part is an act of worship. And it's an act of worship because what you see produced in every situation where they choose not to defile themselves and choose not to follow this new religion, but they choose to follow the God that they have served from when they were children, worship is produced. And it's amazing. So I'm going I'm to read you a couple of these instances where worship gets produced. So Nebuchadnezzar, uh, I'm just going to, we're not going to have it up here. I'm just going to walk you through it. Nebuchadnezzar has this dream. And, and it, this is a dream that plagues him, chapter 2 of the book of Daniel. And he tests the magicians and astrologers and all, all his people that, claim to have spiritual insight and power. And so he comes to them and he says, I need you to tell me my dream and then tell me what it's about. And, and the, the magicians and astronomers and enchanters, they say, well, why don't, why don't you just kind of tell us your dream and then we'll tell you what it's about. And he says, he literally, he's like, I got you. You don't know anything. And so he goes, I'm going to put, put them all to death. Put all the wise men to death. And so they come to put Daniel and his friends to death. And Daniel asks that they be given time to pray to their God and see if he would reveal this dream to them. And God does. And once God does reveal this to Daniel, in verse 19, it says, During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. And this book is full of visions. It says, Then Daniel praised the God of heaven. He worships, choosing not to defile himself. He what happens leads to worship. And he says, praise be the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and season, deposes kings, and raises others up. Right? Like my God that, that did allow Jerusalem to fall is, is still the God who's king of all things. He lets some kings fall and raises other kings up. Daniel has seen that all this is God's work. And what that leads to is praise in Nebuchadnezzar's mouth. The king he was serving, the Babylonian king who worshipped another god, all of a sudden, this is what Nebuchadnezzar says in the end of chapter 2. He says, The king said to Daniel, Surely your god is the god of gods and the lord of kings and the revealer of mysteries. 
right? It's not defiance, it's worship. That's what they're doing. Worship is the goal of Daniel and his friends. Next chapter, Nebuchadnezzar doesn't learn his lesson, okay? Even though he sees God as the God of gods and the king of kings, he says, okay, I don't know if he just got bored or he just had too much time on his hands and came with bad ideas, but he, he creates this huge golden statue and he says, okay, I'm going to bring all my people, all my wise men to come and, and everyone's going to come and they're going to bow down to that. And what happens is Daniel's three friends, they refuse to bow down. End of chapter three, Nebuchadnezzar, at the end of this time, he says, praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angels to rescue his servant. They trusted in him and defied the king's command, right? They didn't defile themselves, but they worshiped God instead. And it says this, and they were willing to give up their lives rather than serve and worship any God except their own. They weren't going to worship any God except their own. And what does that lead to? It leads to worship of other people, other people who you would never think a king like Nebuchadnezzar would ever worship Yahweh, the God of the Hebrews, who he conquered their city, but he is now. Why? (laughs) Because they chose to worship instead. This is incredible. And it goes on and on. And chapter 4, same thing, Nebuchadnezzar. God kind of reduces him and humbles him at the end of that chapter. Nebuchadnezzar praising God. He says, then I praised the Most High and honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom lasts from generation to generation. Guys, this book is just full of like worship songs. It's amazing. And, And where are they singing worship to Yahweh, the God of the Hebrews? They're singing worship in Babylon. <laughs> a city that has conquered Jerusalem. But you see God's hand throughout this whole thing. See, while Daniel could be taken from his home, Daniel and his friends could be taken from their home, taken from their families, what could not be taken away from them is their decision of who they will worship. And that's profound. That's, that is very profound. And that's why the, really the, the big idea of our, our whole time is that you're free when God is the only one you want to please. Because right? if you looked at Daniel and his friends, you, you wouldn't think of them as being free, but, but you see in every action they make, they represent freedom that no one else understands until they... They see these guys standing up, getting all the cobwebs of life and worshiping in spite of all that. Now, what I want to ask you is what keeps you from worship? What keeps you from worship? And my guess is that hearing this, you, like me, feel a little ashamed of what keeps you from worship. Because what keeps you from worship, and, and I'm not trying to do a comparison here, but, but I do want us to look at Daniel and his friends and, and see an amazing example of, of how worship isn't just an emotion that draws us into a place, but it's just an acknowledge of who God is and who he's always been and who he always will be. That's what worship is. It's valuing who 
God is and who he has been and who he always will be. Even if Jerusalem falls, God is still sovereign and they choose not to just defiantly say, well, God, you took Jerusalem away. Now, <laughs> they still worshiped him. And so that worship led to an incredible life. And, and that, this is what we see in the formation of Daniel at the age of about 13, this formation of his life. And rather than taking the whole story, we're gonna go to the very end in, in what was called the culmination of his life in the famous story of Daniel and the lion's den. Love the story. And Daniel at this point is 80 years old. So the book of Daniel is broken into essentially two sections. You have the story section, which runs on a timeline from um, each story kind of goes in successive order. Um, That's chapters one to six. Then you go six to the end, and that's following visions that are seen. And, And those visions happen within the first six chapters. And so when we get to Daniel in the lion's den, he's already seen these, some of these visions where God reveals that, that Israel uh, will be in captivity for 70 years. And why this is important is because we get to Daniel in the lion's den is Daniel is commanded not to pray to his God. But Daniel chooses to pray to his God even though he knows, because the word of God has said that he has years until they return to their homeland. But Daniel still chooses to pray anyway. So we're going to pull up Daniel 6. <clears throat> this is how it reads. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom and three administrators over them. One of them was Daniel. So get this. Darius's kingdom is the largest kingdom on the face of the earth at the time. And Daniel is one of the top three advisors in this entire kingdom. And it goes on, it says, the satraps were accountable to the kings who might not suffer loss. Now Daniel distinguished himself among the administrators and satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. This is a big deal. Daniel's a big deal. But the other guys don't like it. At this time, the administrators and satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs. Get this, get this, Especially you guys who work in the shipyard, government affairs, right? But they were unable to do so, what? Because they could find no corruption in him. Because he was trustworthy and uh, neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. Well done, Daniel. Isn't this amazing? Like, they, they, they audited him, audited him. And if you've ever been through an audit, it's terrible, right? And so they literally went through all of his papers. They, they had spies stalking him, but they could not find a single thing to point out about him. Nothing corrupt, nothing negligent in him. And so they came to this, they were so exasperated, they were like, well, it has to do with him worshiping this God. I guess we're gonna have to, like, somehow get at him that way. Right? Reflect on your life. If someone were to audit your life, if someone were to follow you around or look at all your papers or, or unpack the contents of your computer, whatever that is, would, would it just be following God that they could pick on you about? 
So these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king, leaving out Daniel. May the king Darius live forever. And the royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors all agreed that the king would issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, your majesty, issue the decree and put it into writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So the king Darius put this decree in writing. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room with a window open toward Jerusalem, the city that he loves and has loved since he left at the age of 13, around that age. And this is amazing, 80 years old. 80 years old. And this is what he's doing three times a day, getting on his knees and praying, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. And, and I, I was doing some research thinking like, what, what is he praying? And, and I actually think we know what he's praying. And we're going to look at 1 Kings. In the dedication of the temple, um, Solomon says this in 1 Kings 8, uh, verses 46. He says um, this, When they sin against you, because the people of Israel will, for there is no one who does not sin, and you become angry with them and give them over to their enemies who take them captive to their own lands far away or near. And if they have change of heart in the land where they are held captive and repent and plead with you in the land of their captors and say, so this is Daniel's prayer right here. Three times a day, what is he praying? As he opens his window towards Jerusalem, he's praying, we have sinned, we have done wrong, we have acted wickedly. And if they turn back to you with all their hearts and souls in the land of their enemies who took them captive and pray to you towards the land you gave their ancestors, toward the city you have chosen, and the temple, get this, what is Daniel doing? This is what Daniel's doing. Isn't that awesome? He says, uh, toward the city you and I have built for you. <clears throat> your name, uh, then from heaven, your dwelling place, hear their prayer and their plea and uphold their cause and forgive your people who have sinned against you. Forgive all the offenses they have committed against you and cause their captors to show them mercy for they are your people and your inheritance whom you brought out of Egypt, out of that iron smelting furnace. And it goes on, but I, I guess we'll just stop there. This is amazing, guys. What, what we get is Daniel three times a day, opening his window, facing towards Jerusalem, and praying, we have sinned. Restore us. We have sinned. We've Restore us. And, and what we see is God has shown up in spectacular ways. As you read the book of Daniel, God's showing up to Daniel in visions. God's giving him understanding of these visions. And even, even after he has understanding of these, these visions, he doesn't go, okay, sweet, thanks for giving me the plan. Now I'm done. No, he just keeps pressing in because he's got to know God because worship has become... What he's done, worship has led to prayer, which has led to him just enjoying his time with God. It's amazing. And so they can't take that away from him. They try. And so what happens, going back to the book of Daniel, is uh, if we... Yeah, here we go. So he learned, he prayed, verse 11. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asked God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. 
Did you not publish the decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or human being except your majesty would be thrown into the lion's den? And the answer was, yes, the decree stands as a lot of the means of Persians, which cannot be repealed. And then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to your majesty or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Which is so cool after, what, 70 years of all the spider webs hitting you, right? (laughs) Here is this king that just loves him, but yet again, another spider web hits him, right? Then the men went as a group to King Darius. Um, He said, remember your majesty that according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave orders and they brought Daniel and threw him in the lion's den. And the king said to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually rescue you. What's Daniel's reputation? Serving God continually. And you'll read Later on, he says this again, the God who you serve continually. This is Daniel's reputation. And a stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet ring and the ring of his nobles so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating, without any entertainment being brought to him. And he could not sleep. The first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? And Daniel answered, may the king live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I have been found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. And the king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no one No wound was found in him because he had trusted in his God. It does not turn out as well for the other guys. At the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought and thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and children. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Then King Darius wrote, All the nations and people of every language and all the earth, may you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of the kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and the earth. And he has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. Worship. That is what drove the life of Daniel and his three friends. And so what I I want to challenge you with is what is keeping you, right? What is keeping you from worship and prayer? Day to day, it could just be as simple as as you wake up in the morning and, and what keeps you from starting your morning with worship? What keeps you from going the whole day and forgetting to worship? What keeps you from praying like Daniel did three times a day? with dedication, knowing that God is the God who hears, that his dominion is an eternal dominion. What keeps you from that? And, and really, I think it's the same question of what keeps you from being free? Like what keeps you from being free? And I think what keeps us from being free is that 
we, unlike Daniel and his friends, oftentimes our, our one goal isn't to please God. We just have so many goals. We have so many things we want to please and so many, right? We're not free because of that. But Daniel and his friends in captivity experienced freedom that I think a lot of us look at and we just want to, right? Don't you want this? <laughs> and I think you'd be like, man, let more cobwebs of life and spider webs of life hit me if, if I get to represent God in this way. Amen? And so I challenge you to stand up and follow this incredible God who's the God of gods and the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Let the cobwebs of life hit you. And in response to that, worship. Worship with all your might. And make it your goal, make it your ambition to please him. And I'm not talking about try to win salvation. But even Paul says, he goes, we make it our ambition to please God. That's what Paul said. We make it our ambition to please God. Why? Because that's worship. Just celebrating the greatness of who God is. And that is something that nobody can take away. So I'm going to pray for us and just invite you into this time of singing and communion to, to consider those questions. Is there something keeping you from worship? Is there something keeping you from prayer? Is there something keeping you from making it your goal and ambition to please God, to see that smile on his face because with his greatness and goodness towards you, you're responding with great adoration of him. God, I pray that that your spirit will reveal to us even in this time of singing, communion, maybe even as we approach communion, if there is a way that we have surrendered or defiled ourselves instead of choosing to live by conviction, choosing the righteous way. Thank you that even today, again, your invitation is to come. And God, I, I pray for this church I pray that, that you will give us opportunities to call others to worship you, even if that is a lot of spiderwebs of life hitting us. I pray that we'll be inspired and motivated by the witness of Daniel and his friends. I think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and and when they stood before the king and he threatened to throw them in the furnace, they said, even if our God doesn't save us, we will only worship him. God, I pray that will be just, the, that will be our declaration. Even, I, even if I lose my job or get tired or whatever it is, whatever it costs, I'm going to follow God. And I pray that, that that testimony, that our lives will, for some of us, maybe God, you will, You'll call our families who aren't yet worshiping you to worship you. You'll call people at work who aren't worshiping it to worship you. God, we want that. God, so give us pure hearts and clean hands again 
to go out and represent you in this world. I get so distracted and worship so many things. God, I pray that our lives will invite people to worship and that we will worship wholeheartedly. I pray this in Jesus' mighty name, amen.